Take our Bibles and go to the book of James, chapter number 5. James, chapter number 5. While you are turning there, I just want to just talk a little bit from the heart by way of observation. As a pastor of a flock, as a husband, as a father, I think that it's important that we are aware of what's going on around us, not just the physical safety, uh, the trying to avoid hazard, but also the spiritual safety. Uh, it seems like, and I don't know if you've noticed this uh, like I have, but it seems like lately that some of the oppression and frustration, uh, just the mentality of people in general, uh, as well as God's people, it just seems to me like that um, there's a, some strange things going on. Now, the Bible talks about the um, spirit world and how that in the last days that there's going to be a lot of spiritual activity, uh, not just not necessarily from God's side, but from the devil's side. And it just seems to me like that the devil and his forces have been working overtime. I, I read in the scripture and I know that the devil is a personality and that he has uh, intellect and that all of his forces also have personalities and they are very organized. And I've noticed this for quite some time, but if the devil is organized and intelligent, then he is going after God's people. And wouldn't you agree that if a church or if a believer has went liberal or apostate, then probably the devil doesn't have to give them a whole lot of attention because he's already got them. Now, when that happens, that means that God's people who are still sticking with God and doing right and living right and doing the right things, that means that he can concentrate more of his forces more frequently in the areas where he is most vulnerable, and that would be Bible-believing, godly Christian churches, I believe, such as this one. I don't say that in arrogance, I say that in humility, and I give all the glory and honor to the Lord. But there are some good things, and there are still churches out there that are standing for what's right, and I thank God for that. But the state of Christianity in this nation is not in a good condition overall. And because of that, I believe that that makes uh, true Bible-believing, God-fearing, God-honoring Christians, that makes us more vulnerable to satanic attack. I don't say that to make uh, you, you fearful, but I don't think that it does any of us any good to stick our head in the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist because I guarantee you, you stick your head in the sand, Satan doesn't fight fair. It's not going to matter to him if you hide. He's still out to destroy God's people. Have you ever felt like quitting before? I mean, I don't mean just like one of those ho-hum, just, ah, I think I'll just quit. No, I mean where you're really, truly struggling with life, with your Christian life, with church, with family, with relationships, whatever. It's just like, you know what? I'm done. I can't take it anymore. And I'm sure that most, if not every one of us here today, have had that type of a moment. Let's draw our attention now to James chapter number 5. 
And look with me beginning in verse number 7. We're not doing our normal Acts. Uh, normally we'd be in the book of Acts, chapter number 12. We've been going expositorily through the book of Acts. But I just felt strongly this morning that the Lord wanted us to go in a different direction for this service. In James chapter 5 and verse number 7, toward the end of James' epistle, he gives some closing remarks, and he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. I believe that it's near. I don't know if it will be in my lifetime or your lifetime, but I certainly hope so. And I'm not seeing anything that's going on in this world that makes me think that it couldn't happen just any time, any moment. Be patient unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. I have a screenshot here uh, on the screen of a picture that we took this morning. And that is a double rainbow right on my back porch. I think it was sometime around 8 o'clock this morning, I believe. Just before the rain came in, at least rain at our house. And I thought, wow, that is a beautiful, vivid double rainbow. I thought about how that God promised that he would no longer destroy the earth with a flood after he did so back in Noah's days. He, t- he literally destroyed all of the human race with the exception of Noah and his family. And he did it because the thoughts and imaginations of man's heart was only evil continually. And we see that more and more and more in this world today. And I'm reminded that God gave a token of a covenant so that we could see that in the sky and be reminded that God is good and gracious even though some very, very bad things happened in the past. I'm certain that Noah and his family were thankful and grateful that God invited them into the ark and shut to the door. I'm sure that they were thankful that they were rescued from the flood and the destruction of the earth, but I don't think that it was any picnic or cakewalk for Noah and his family. I mean, that that uh, ark, if you will, and by the way, it wasn't a ship. It wasn't designed for sailing. It was only designed for floating. And that thing was just bobbing up and down as the earth was reeling to and fro and the floodwaters were coming in. And I guarantee you that ark was rocking back and forth. And listen, I have been around critters. And it doesn't take 40 days and 40 nights to be in an enclosed place with critters for it to get, please forgive me, I'm not trying to be gross, it gets soupy fast. I worked at a dairy farm. How many of you ever worked at a dairy farm before? All right. You know what I understand. It gets soupy and it's moving back and forth and so forth. So you kind of figure it out. It wasn't a pleasant circumstance. But when the waters abated and Noah walked out of that ark and God gave him that beautiful token of a rainbow in the sky, the backdrop of that blue sky and those clouds 
what a refreshing thing that that must have been for Noah to see that rainbow that came from God. In verse number 9, it says, uh, grudge, excuse me, verse 8, be ye also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. You know, some of God's men went through horrible things, and they were good, godly men. The Bible refers to those prophets as holy men of God. I mean, men that if you were their neighbor or you lived them, you would look and you'd say, wow, they, they almost seem to be sinless. They, they, they seem to be so special. Have you ever been around somebody that was such a good Christian that there's a side of you that says, man, I want to be like them. And another side of you that goes, oh, you, you know what I'm, it just depends on what mood you're in. It's like, oh, they just think they're so perfect. <laughs> I guarantee you, if you saw these prophets of God, you would just think, wow, they just seem to be rising above human nature. Why can't I do that? And yet, the Bible shows us time and time again that these same men, that you and I wouldn't find any fault of them, many of them suffered great affliction. And so sometimes... Sometimes life doesn't make sense. We think that, well, if you do right, then everything's going to go right. But that's not the reality, is it? It's just not the way that this life works. It's the way that God intended it, by the way. Garden of Eden. But what messed it up? God didn't mess it up. We messed it up. You say, wait a minute. It wasn't me. It was Adam and Eve. Really? That's interesting. Adam and Eve did something that God said don't do, right? Have you ever done that before? Oh, yeah, we all have, haven't we? Which proves that if we would have been there, we would have made the same decision that Adam and Eve made. And so verse 11 says, Behold, we count them happy, which, what's the next word? Endure. We count them happy, which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful. That means he's full of pity. He looks down. He looked down upon Job. And he had pity. He had compassion. He had care. Listen, folks, when you're going through a rough time, and it feels like that God is a billion miles away and is not paying you any attention, and even more, the devil comes along and says, oh, God doesn't know, but if He does know, He doesn't care. Guess what? He's lying to you because God does care. And we've seen the end of that. Job had many, many days where he felt like that God didn't care. In fact, Job said, man, I wish that I could get a daysman betwixt us. I wish that I could somehow bridge the gap and talk to God. And I'd tell him my complaint and he'd understand and he'd fix my problems. And then God showed up. And instead of being the, uh, the, the, the uh, emotional therapist of the universe, God showed up and said to Job, hey, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? In short... God showed up and said, you don't know what you're talking about, Job. 
you ought to just be quiet and trust that I'm God and that I know what I'm doing. And we saw the end of Job, how that God brought Job up out of his problems and God wasn't unjust. There was something going on between God and Satan that Job somehow, because God had so much confidence in Job that he was able to trust Job with that suffering. Now listen, you're looking at a man who does not like to suffer. I feel like such a weakling and a wimp. I'm getting ready to have surgery on Tuesday and uh, on my shoulder. And everybody that I've talked to just talks about how horrible it is, how horrible it is. And, you know, I'm, I've am i been trying to muster myself up and say, just man up. we just got to tough it out. And then my wife showed me the video of it. It's like, oh, my goodness. And everybody I talked to, it's like, oh, you're having that surgery. Oh, man, that's horrible. You know, uh, you can do whatever you feel like doing, but you ain't going to feel like doing nothing. Oh, thanks. Thanks. So anyhow, my life is over on Tuesday. I don't like to suffer and I don't like to talk about suffering. And let me tell you something. You're not, you're not listening to a pastor that, that is going to try to super spiritualize all of our suffering like, oh, you just need to be like Job. Job wasn't even like Job, (laughs) right? So we've seen that the end of the Lord, he is full of pity. And look at the last two two words of verse 11 of tender mercy. Wow. That's God, the creator. That's the holy God. The same one that rained down judgment upon this earth and numerous times, but yet he is full of tender mercy. And so I want to talk to you this morning on some principles of endurance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your presence here today. Lord, for the Sunday school lesson that we've heard. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the people that have come together to hear the Word of God today. I pray that you would speak to us and help us with our needs. I think of a congregation this size, and Lord, the needs are just manifold. Everyone has a different one. We all think that our needs at this moment are unique, and yet, Lord, we just have the commonality of humanity. I pray that you would minister to our hearts today and give each and every one of us just exactly what we need to keep going on for you, Lord, to rise above the problems, Lord, that we face. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk about some principles of endurance, but before we talk about the principles of endurance, I want to lay a foundation of uh, principles that are relevant to this subject. First of all, we read in Job chapter 14, where Job says, man that is born of a woman. How many of you were born of a woman? Any Anyone not born of a woman? I know we live in confusing days today, you know, where people don't know what gender that they are from day to day. That's confusing. But let me tell you something, the way that God set it up, there ain't going to be no babies unless it's God's way, right? How many of you are born of a woman? Don't be ashamed of it. All right. Man that is born of a woman is a few days. Listen, I have been, I have been, 
I'm, I'm approaching 54 years of life on this earth, and some of you are saying, oh, you're just a little baby. I understand that, but I think, okay, I got a whole lot more of my life behind me than I do in front of me, and that's really starting to sink in. And then I think, it just doesn't seem like that long. You young parents raising your kids, man, stay on track and relish every single minute because it passes by so, so fast. Just enjoy every minute. Don't, don't ever get to where you're, you get frustrated or complaining because there's going to come a time where, I mean, the worst day that you've had when you're cleaning up puke and other things, there's going to come a day when you're going to say, man, I wish that I could just have one of those days back, even if it was cleaning up messes and being frustrated. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and what? <laughs> Full of trouble. You know what? That is not fatalism. That's just realism. All of us. Sometimes we stub our toe and go, God, what are you trying to tell me? And God's going, I'm not trying to tell you anything. You stubbed your toe. You know, or or my my air conditioner broke down. God, what are you doing in my life? God says, it's 15 years old. They break down. The next verse, Romans 8.28. And, and I realize that sometimes this is not an enjoyable reminder when you're going through something. And so typically, typically, if I'm your friend or your pastor and you're going through something, unless it's really relevant and you don't know it, I typically don't just throw this at people. But this is to everyone from the pulpit, and we need to be reminded of it, that the Bible says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. This is a conditional promise, by the way, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. If you are saved and you love God and you're walking with God and you are following God, no matter what happens, even when you fail, even when you sin, do you know that God can take your failures and work them together for good? Do you know that God has taken man's sin and actually used that to bring repentance and, and God end up winning when the devil thought that he won? Man, there, you got a great example of that in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan is cheering and thinking, ha ha ha, he's dead, I won. Well, wait a minute. There's triple overtime, day one, day two, day three. In triple overtime, guess who won? God won because Jesus came up out of that grave. There will be times when we think that Satan has won, but God, if we will allow him, he will take and work that together for good. The next foundational principle is Revelation 4, verse number 11, where the Scripture says, Thou art worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, that's you and me, for thy pleasure, they are, that's past tense, they are present tense, and were past tense created. 
And so we've got to remember that our lives here, our existence is not for ourselves; it's for His pleasure. And sometimes we think that our life is supposed to be, we never really think it's supposed to be perfect, but we think that it should be at least in the ballpark, and then that's not reality. But always remember as a foundational principle that God put us here for His pleasure and for His glory. And just like with His servant Job, God did get glory out of Job's suffering. What does the word endurance mean? It's the ability or strength to continue or last, especially despite fatigue, stress, or other adverse conditions. Endurance. That's what many of God's people did as an example of endurance in our text. What are some areas of endurance that some things that stretch us in life? Well, first of all, there are financial problems. Who hasn't at one point in their life had financial problems? Some people have suffered bankruptcy. Some people are dealing with debt, trying to dig themselves out of the hole. Sometimes we go through times where we're worrying, how am I going to pay the bills? We did a salt and light radio broadcast, Brother Glenn and I, this past Thursday. And I shared with them the same thing that I shared with the Christian Life Training class. When you have financial problems, remember the three T's of finances. Number one, tithe. Give God His 10%. Tithe, number two, try. Try means working. That means doing the best that you can to try to earn a living and working and making the money that you need to do. Uh, you know, listen, if you are able to work, uh, don't, don't make a cardboard sign to go out and ask people for money. We, we saw someone in Winston-Salem the other day who was actually sitting down and he had a new piece of cardboard and a Sharpie marker and he's writing his own sign. My wife made a, just a brilliant observation. She said, I wonder if his fifth grade teacher had that in mind when they were teaching him how to make sentences. We're going to teach you how to write so that you can make a sign. That's kind of a joke, y'all. Kind of. I mean, I understand, but you're looking at me like, well. <laughs> Financial problems. Let's move on. Secondly, relational problems. Wait, everyone from time to time is going to have problems in some kind of relationship, whether it's husband-wife, whether it's parent-child, whether it's child-parent. Uh, relationship problems at work, relation problems with in-laws and outlaws and all of the above. Uh, we're all different, aren't we? And we all have good days and bad days. And when I have a bad day and somebody I care about has a bad day, we seem to clash and collide. And these things are going to happen. Uh, three, injustice. Wow, sometimes life can just deal us a really, really crummy hand where we get treated unfairly. Uh, how about spiritual battles? We go through battles with, have you ever just had a day in your Christian life where you couldn't explain it or describe it? You can't really name any circumstance, but you just feel like that Satan has his claws in your back and he's just following you around and you just feel this oppression inside, but you can't explain it. 
I think sometimes those are very real and genuine things that are going on in the spirit world. Uh, number five, how about emotional disorders? Um, you know, these are very real things. Uh, people have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Uh, there are people who suffer from clinical depression where maybe it's a chemical issue in the brain. Maybe it's just life that has just ganged up and has formed uh, just kind of a, a, a way of thinking that we just can't seem to, to pull ourselves out of. Uh, by the way, when you are around somebody that's suffering from depression, chiding them doesn't help. You know, what's, what's wrong with you? Just pull yourself up with your bootstraps. They can't. They're depressed. And maybe they just need support. Maybe they just need encouragement. There's all kinds of emotional disorders that people deal with. There's temptations, besetting sins. Boy, sometimes a besetting sin will make you want to quit. Just give in to it. I'm tired of fighting the battle. And then what happens? We give in to a besetting sin because we're tired of fighting the battle. And then what happens to the believer? All we're doing is transferring the battle. The flesh has been battling against the Spirit, saying, I want it, I want it, I want it. We give in because we're tired of fighting. And then the Spirit is over here saying, don't do that. Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? So to the believer, there's always going to be a struggle going on inside. But let me tell you something. It's a whole lot better to live with the struggle against that besetting sin than it is dealing with the struggle of the besetting sin. How about the next one? Grief. We go through grief when we lose something that's precious to us. And boy, grief can... Listen, grief does not bring out the best in our human nature. Grief can cause all kinds of just out-of-character type of things, the way that we deal with one another. I remember, and I know people have went through way, way worse grief than I have, but I remember when my dad was killed in that accident 20-some years ago, and that source of security and friendship was just instantly ripped out of my life, and I accepted that God was in control. I wasn't bitter at God. I wasn't angry. I, I, I felt like I was going through the natural process of grieving, and yet, I'm telling you, it I was so hypersensitive during that time. It caused um, it caused marital conflict. God bless my wife for putting up with me for listen for almost over a year. It had an effect on me, and I didn't understand it. I couldn't figure it out, and I got so frustrated. And then my frustration with myself would make me even a worse husband. And it just, the whole thing was snowballing. I remember a time in my office, the church I was at in Idaho, I remember just, uh, I was so frustrated with myself. I had inherited a bunch of books from my dad. My dad was a preacher. And I had put all those books on my library shelf. And listen, as I was looking, I was just walking. I was had the door shut. I'm standing there. I'm kind of praying. I'm just going, God, I need help. I need an answer. I, I knew what the Bible said. I knew that I'd see my dad again. He was in heaven. And I knew all of those principles. But there was something. It seems like everything I tried to deal with 
I was dealing with the symptoms and I just couldn't get to the root problem. And I'm saying, God, give me something to help. And I'm not kidding you. It was almost as if this didn't happen. I'm not trying to be spooky, but all my books on my bookshelf, there was like one book that had, it was just a thin little red book. And it's almost like that book just started glowing at me. And I just reached out and I picked it up. And it was, it was called The Ins and Out of Rejection. And it was a book written by uh, Harold Solomon. And it was about the crucified life. And it was about acceptance and rejection and so forth. And I didn't even get into the body of the book. I read the foreword. And brothers and sisters, the foreword, in that foreword, that introduction to the book, he talked about how that Christians that he had counseled had lost a loved one and how it affected them. He's reading my pedigree. I mean, he's spelling out everything. I said, that's me, that's me, that's me. And he said that it was all because of that feeling of rejection because a security in your life was no longer there. And I got to thinking about that. That's it, Lord. I mean, my dad was extremely accepting. I felt like that, hey, no matter what I did, even if I failed, dad was still going to be there. He was faithful. He wasn't, my relationship with him wasn't like conditional, like I had to perform and meet up to his expectations. He was just always there and supporting. And that was gone from my life. And I had to learn how to live my life without that and transfer that to the Lord. And God showed me there in Ephesians where the Bible says that I am accepted in the beloved. That's the highest level of acceptance that you and I can get. Even in my sinful condition, because of Calvary, I am accepted in the beloved. And you know what? As soon as I understood my problem, it's like the problem was gone. It wasn't a three-step or a seven-step or a 20-step process. It was just like, oh, now I know what I'm dealing with. And then I just went back to being the normal jerk that I am instead of the abnormal jerk that I am. My wife appreciates that statement. It, It just helped. Sometimes understanding isn't half the battle. It's the whole battle. And yet, let me just throw out a precaution here. There are many things in life that we want to understand, and God doesn't necessarily offer us that understanding. When we don't understand God, what are we supposed to do? I guess we're just supposed to trust that He's good, even when things don't go the way that we want. Emotional disorders, temptations, grief, pain disease, and so forth. And I need to move on quickly here. These are areas that we all have to endure. And so let's take a look at some principles of endurance. Number one, if you go to Hebrews chapter number 12 with me, Hebrews chapter number 12, there's a an analogy of the Christian life in which our life is likened to a race. I never have been much of a runner. I I love sports. Played basketball, baseball, football. Running for conditioning was just something that I had to do 
to get the coach off of my back. I, I, those of you who like to run, Brother Smoker, some of you, God bless you. I just don't like it. I, I don't mind getting on a bicycle. I mean, I can get on a bicycle. I used to, I used to put on rollerblades, inline skates. And man, I could just, I could literally skate for 20 to 30 miles and just be, you know, let's do some more. But running, never did enjoy it. But we do have a race that we have to run. It's called our Christian life. And Hebrews 12, verse number one says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Boy, there's a lot of truth to that. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Brothers and sisters, we have to run our own race. There are many Christians who fail by trying to run someone else's race. We're all God's children. Uh, God blessed my wife and I with two children, a, uh, a boy and a girl. How about that? And the boy's still a boy and the girl's still a girl. What a great, it's great to be alive. And you know what? They were so different. Some of it, I think they were different because one was a boy and one was a girl. But but even aside from that, personality-wise, and even as they have grown into adulthood, and we've watched them grow and mature and change, and different personalities come in, come out, and sometimes I look at my son and I think, oh, you are such a runyon. And then I'll go... Uh, no, you're a Mitchell. That's even worse. I see Mitchell coming out, and I see Runyon coming out, and then I'll see stuff that's like, well, that just must be Josh. I don't know where that came from. You know what? I'm not you, and you're not me, and you're not you, and you're not you. We are all, if you're saved, we are God's children. God has a custom-made race for each and every one of us. When you try to run somebody else's race, God may not have equipped you to be like them. That's why it is foolish, Paul declares, to compare ourselves among ourselves. It's unwise. In Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Wow, that's a powerful statement. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That's a wonderful promise. I think that every believer ought to memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 because there's times in life where you and I need reminded of that truth. Wow, if I just in all my ways acknowledge him. He will direct my paths. Notice that he says he'll direct my paths. He's not even talking about my decisions. Now, when we make decisions, we need wisdom to make good decisions. But these are our paths. This is God out in front of our life, kind of like the um, like the train track. You know, train tracks have different times where they switch and the track goes in a different direction. God's either switching our tracks out in front of us, 
God's perhaps building bridges out in front of us or digging tunnels. Whatever the case may be, God's out in front of us and He's directing our paths. And a lot of times when we don't even know what we're doing, if we'll just keep following the Lord, our life's going to end up where it needs to end up. Sometimes we think we have to understand and we have to know what's around the corner. You're looking at a man who likes to know what's going to happen tomorrow. I like to plan. I don't like surprises. I like to schedule and I like to expect. And God gave me the blessing of being married to someone that's not like that. And I'm like, okay, what do you, what do you want to do? To her, that's pressure. Don't pressure me. I'll worry about that tomorrow. And to me, it's pressure. It's like, I, I need to know what to expect. I got, I got to plan this out and I'm just wired that way. And yet God, God hasn't accommodated my nature that way. Many, many times God has not told me what to expect for tomorrow. Many times I've wondered what tomorrow holds and I prayed and said, God, please, you said you'd direct my paths and show me, show me what's around the corner. God would just be silent. Don't you hate it when God's silent? Uh, sometimes I'd, I'd even like to hear a no. <laughs> but sometimes we just don't hear anything. We're like, is that a no, a maybe, a yes? God, I prayed and I asked and I got nothing. And you know what I have to do? I have to just go to what He's already said right here and just trust Him with all my heart and know that He's out in front And He's going to direct my paths. He has a path for me. And He has a path for you. We just need to trust Him with all of our hearts. Secondly, don't run for your own sake. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 10. I, I don't know what the Calvinists do with this verse. Calvinists believe that God preselects some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. I don't believe that. Uh, I know that there are some passages in the Bible that talk about predestination and talk about the elect and so forth. I'm not going to take the time to apologetically address that doctrine or that teaching here today, but I do want to present to you 2 Timothy 2.10 that to me sure does throw a wrench in that idea, where Paul says, therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake. Paul says, I've got to endure, I've got to stay on course, I can't quit, I can't fail, because if I do, then it's going to affect other people. He says, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It sure does seem to me like Paul, the same one who talked to us about election and predestination, it seems like that he under, he didn't understand it the way that hyper-Calvinism understands it. He knew that something, the salvation of other souls may be dependent upon me not failing and quitting in my Christian life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, Paul says, I therefore so run... Not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. 
a castaway as someone who's unapproved, rejected, or worthless. Paul says, I've got to stay on course for God. I've got to keep this body, this flesh under subjection. I've got to make sure that I'm living right and doing right because if I don't, it's going to affect me. I'm going to be a castaway and it's going to affect others. There might be some people that would stumble and fall and not get saved because of the inconsistencies in my life and testimony. You say, preacher, that's putting a lot of pressure on me. Well, that's just the way that it is, brothers and sisters. I know that modern Christians, this contemporary crowd, they want a Christianity that has no pressure, no responsibility whatsoever. Just enjoy and live, and God's good with everything. But the bottom line is people do get hurt. And uh, we need to always remember that. There was a big difference between King Saul and King David. Both of them had some really bad problems in their lives. Saul disobeyed God two times, and then that led to a lifestyle of disobeying God and rebellion and a bad spirit. Listen, when, when we get a bad spirit, we get bad behavior. It is so important that we protect our spirit because so many things, if our spirit is bitter, if our spirit is angry, if our spirit is wounded, then everything in our life just comes out through our spirit. When Saul continually rebelled against the Lord, Saul got an evil spirit. And from that point on, every decision that Saul made, when God's zigging, Saul's zagging. And verse vice At the end, Saul's going to the witch of Endor because he can't see what's going to happen tomorrow. And he's resorting to divination because he said, and he knew it, that the Lord had departed from him. That's the worst thing. Now listen, as believers, God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But that doesn't mean that God cannot withdraw his presence of fellowship. Hey, when I mess up, when I sin... I certainly feel like that God has withdrawn His fellowship. And to me, that's one of the worst consequences when I sin, is just not feeling the presence of God for a short period of time. David, on the other hand, committed adultery. He committed murder, conspiracy, and so forth. But while David was a great sinner... You read Psalm 51, and we find that David also was a great repenter. David knew how to get right with God. If you're ever struggling with how to get back on track for God, read Psalm 51 and just meditate upon it and think about it and say, you know what, if David could get back on track after all that he did, maybe God can forgive me and get me back on track as well. Number three. Number three, deal with failure, but don't accept it. Deal with it, but don't accept it. Proverbs 24.16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth again. Failures are inevitable. For the best, I started to say the best of us, but that wouldn't really. For the best of you out there, failure 
is going to be inevitable. We are just flesh. We are just humans. If the Apostle Paul said that if he could be frustrated with himself and say, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, then certainly all of us can understand that failure is inevitable. Abraham, the father of faith. I count seven different times where Abraham stumbled in faith. And yet the Bible says in Romans 5 that he staggered not at the promises of God. Don't you find that interesting? That God records Abraham's failures and then in the New Testament he says he didn't stumble. You know why that is? Because God sees us after we recover God's not trying to keep score and say, oh, yeah, I know what you did back then. God's, the only thing that God's keeping score of is, did you get it right with me? Did you confess it? God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our failures, our sins will cost us. They will hinder us. There will be consequences. We will reap what we sow, but you do not have to allow your failures to define who you are. You can't allow them to refine you rather than define you. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 5. The Bible says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You know what we find here, folks? We find that God has a woodshed, and when we fail, he will take us behind the woodshed because he loves us, because he's not going to leave us in the condition that we're in. He's going to correct us. He's going to change, he's going to change our heart, and he does it. You say, what is God's woodshed? You know what? In my life, my Christian life, I found that every time that the Lord has chastened me, every time He's, uh, I'll just be plain talk here with, every time I've got a whooping from God, it was a different kind of whooping. But every time I can say, wow, that was effective. God, you knew just exactly what you needed to do in my life to get me back on track for you. Isn't He a wonderful Father? Isn't He a wonderful God? Failures are inevitable. Skip down to verse 12 and 13. Notice here it says, And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Uh, excuse me, I, I, I skip verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Boy, when we fail and God chastens us, sometimes it's just, what does God say? Lift them up. Lift them up. God's not going to keep you on the shelf or behind the woodshed inevitably, indefinitely I should say. Uh, he's going to chasten us and then He's going to lift us up, dust us up, put us back on our feet and say, time to get back in your race and keep running that race, son. Enduring chastening, we've got to trust the goodness of the Father. We've got to take personal responsibility for our actions. And we've got to accept some scars and stripes. We've got to accept it. Now, however you want to put that, 
You, you can phrase it however you want. Some people say, well, I just have to forgive myself. I'm not much on that statement because truthfully, if God's forgiven you and I, we should be good with that because we're not, we're not holier than God. We shouldn't have a higher standard than God, should we? And so if 1 John 1 9 tells me that God's forgiven me, then I just need to accept that forgiveness and move on. I got some scars. I got some stripes. I may be like Jacob who wrestled with the Lord all night long and he went the rest of his life with a limp. I may have to limp through life, but it doesn't mean. Listen, from that moment on, Jacob started running his race with a limp. But you know what? He made it to the finish line. That's why it's important that we understand it's our race that we're running And keep on going in life. Run with a limp if you have to, but by all means, don't don't quit. Keep enduring. Number four, run with patience. I was watching, I think it was America's America's Funniest Videos years ago. It's been a long time ago. And they're showing, they're at the Greyhound track and they're watching the Greyhounds run the track and they got the mechanical rabbit out front. And there was a Greyhound, if I'm not mistaken, he was at the back of the pack. You know, the rabbit's way up there and then he's got however many dogs in front of him and the rabbit's just always out of reach. And this Greyhound toward the back of the pack was a smart, slow, but smart Greyhound. He jumps the fence and runs across the middle and goes and meets the rabbit on the other side. <laughs> he was smart, but he was disqualified. <laughs> he, um, he cheated. He didn't run his race with patience. He would have been better off to have finished last and finished clean than to cheat and to cut corners. David said in Psalm 27, verse 13, he said, I had fainted. That word fainted doesn't mean, oh, it means quit. He said, I would have quit unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Is it just me or does it sound to you like maybe patience and faith are kind of almost connected, kind of like the same thing? I think patience is faith without the sugar coating. You know, if we're being patient, then we're exercising faith in God. Now, I want to go quickly here and be courteous of your time, but this next, this next quick little Bible study, I'll show it to you on the screen some familiar verses, but I want, to, I want you to see how the Bible, if we believe it and we cross-reference what the Scripture's saying, we might just find something extremely meaningful. Isaiah 40, verse number 29 says, He giveth power to the faint, to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Once again, that word faint means to quit, to stop, 
And God says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Consider Isaiah 64 and verse number 4 says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath seen with the eye, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Interesting. God, I, God says through Isaiah, look, it hasn't entered in your ear or in your heart what God has prepared for those that wait upon him. Now look at how the New Testament quotes this passage of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. How about that? Waiting on the Lord is loving the Lord. They both go, God defines, God gives us the definition of what he's saying in language where we can understand. Waiting isn't just like, mm, let's see. That's not biblical waiting. Waiting is an active thing, not a passive thing. In conclusion, in conclusion, we've talked about running your own race, not running for our own sake, dealing with failure but not accepting it. We've talked about running with patience. The last thing that I want to leave you with here today is what I just call man up and get your eyes on Christ. I know for you ladies that you, you know, man up maybe isn't an expression that you use. I don't know. For me as a man, sometimes when I can't figure it out and I'm just, I don't even want to be profound. I just want to get back on track and I just have to say to myself, Mitchell, you just got to man up. And you know that that is a Bible principle. Jeremiah 12 and verse number five says, if thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? You know, I'm not a big guilt trip preacher. I think guilt trips are short-lived emotional responses. But truthfully, we need to understand that living in America in this day and age, do you know what, folks? We got it made. We got it made. Can you imagine how Christians of yesterday who were persecuted and hated and tortured and neglected, I mean, not just emotionally and socially, but physically, they had nothing because of their faith in Christ? Can you imagine how what they're going to think of you and I in 2019 America, if we quit on God and we're standing at the judgment seat of Christ and they're going, they're going, wow, you quit. What did they do to you? Uh, well, the preacher didn't shake my hand. Well, I went through this or that and it just seemed like God didn't care. And, and you're, you're standing in line with them and they've, Watch their family be burned at the stake. Like I said, I'm not a big guilt trip preacher, but I think sometimes we need to put life 
into its proper perspective and say, you know what, we're going through some pretty bad stuff, but we're nothing special. We're nothing special. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse number 13 says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. That word quit, it's interesting how that that old English word means the exact opposite of what we use it for today. Quitting like men means to act like a man. Sometimes when you don't feel strong, when you don't feel like an adult, when you don't feel like a man, God says, hey, just act like it. And just keep going, I'll get you through this. In Hebrews 12, look with me at verse number 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Brothers and sisters, don't quit. Keep enduring. Man up. Just keep toughing it out. I know it's a worn out cliche, but just take it a day at a time. I can't tell you that tomorrow will be better. I can't tell you that next week will be better, but I can tell you this, that if you'll just one day at a time, let God get you through whatever you're going through, Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, stick with God, and don't quit. I can promise you that everything is going to be okay in the end, because we serve a wonderful, wonderful God. Principles for endurance. It's not enough to just say, well, I'm just going to muster up this. It's not about mustering it up. It's about understanding the principles that God has given us. And if we understand, then we can endure. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for your sustaining power. Lord, you promised that, um, that uh, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Thank you for that promise. I thank you for uh, the attentive listeners here today. Lord, uh, I thank you for each and every heart, each and every life, each and every trouble and sorrow and trial. I pray, Father, that the principles of the Word of God, that you'd help us to put them into practice in our life. I pray for that person here today that's this the closest to quitting in frustration and weakness and hurt and whatever the case may be. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would just breathe life into us. And may that sweet balm of Gilead give us the healing that we need and desire. Father, remember our frame. We're just dust. Thank you, Lord, for your pity and your compassion and your patience with us. I pray, God, that you'd help us. In Jesus' name, amen.